fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. And welcome to the show, Mr. Jim Zumbo. Gentlemen, I am pleased to be here, and I use that term loosely when I say gentlemen. (laughs) (laughs) Al Winder. Just want to welcome you to the show. Thanks for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us on a podcast for a little bit. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. Nothing makes me happier than a cold in Minnesota. If I can't be out fishing, I should be talking about fishing. (laughs) (laughs) Hailing from Wisconsin, Jana Waller. Thanks so much for having me. It's Redcast. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. Powered by Bow Spider. Brought to you by PK Lures and High Mountain Seasonings. And now, here's your hosts, Patrick Edwards and David Merrill. Well, hello and welcome to another episode and a new season of Radcast Outdoors. I'm Patrick Edwards. I'm David Merrill. Hi, everybody. We're back in the studio. It's exciting. Yeah, it's the season, start of season six. Season six, here we go. So if you guys uh, are just joining right now, I would recommend pause this. You're going to have to go back and get some back history. You know, go all the way back to episode maybe one, maybe six, somewhere in there. They started getting good about episode 10. So yeah, yeah we've got 152 episodes previous to this one. So if you want something to listen to, check those out. But today's topic is going to be very interesting. And we're going to do our best to be as neutral but factual as possible on the topic. I I will say I'll be factual. I don't know about neutral. (laughs) No, I think it'll be an interesting one because while we were taking a break in the month of December, it was a good break. Colorado decided to reintroduce wolves. They they say reintroduce, but they established five more wolves. They actually decided early in the year, they voted and passed by the narrowest of margins. And by narrowest of margins, I mean it was 50.5 to 49.5. Yeah, like 51, 49, something like that. But it was super tight. But they finally did go through with the act of releasing their five. The thing that has caught a lot of controversy, and we'll talk about some of these articles. Those of you watching on YouTube, yes, we've done a lot of homework. We got articles all over the place. But one of the things that kind of kicked up a firestorm was only certain people were invited to that. So there's a lot of people that are upset because the people that were for the reintroduction were there and the people that weren't, weren't invited. They did a secret release kind of thing. The governor was there and they did their thing. And you know what? It is what it is. And what people forget about this is that there were already wolves there that came from the great state of Wyoming because wolves don't know boundaries. And And that's one thing that's really infuriating with some of these news articles that are out there is they keep saying this is a great totem of conservation that this is a great thing that colorado's done a great thing and has released wolves that have not been there onto the landscape we've have an article right here that we've pulled up from 2020 (laughs) where people are complaining that wyoming hunters keep shooting colorado's wolves so my frustration right there patrick is they're kind of having their cake and eating it too and saying first of all they're mad that and the way that wyoming's laws are and we get guys this is going to be a long podcast about (laughs) about wolves and reintroduction and we're going to go through some history and some numbers just to try and get some of the facts out there because it's important that we understand why where when what how and it's very interesting to see the dynamic shift in this country in not even a hundred years from leave no wolf on the landscape to don't touch a wolf ever anywhere. Yeah. So we'll get into that. But the the article that he's referencing is one that I found on Colorado's public radio site and it's by Wyofile. Here's the title. It says border killings. Okay. So we're, we're going to try to get people 
fired up with that one, right? Border killings, how shooters lured historic Colorado wolves to their deaths in Wyoming. What is that the is, date on that? This was November 28th, 2023, which this is not even close to factual when you start saying shooters lured historic Colorado wolves. They actually weren't historic Colorado wolves. They were Wyoming wolves that had moved into Colorado and established a pack. And so, what year was <laughs> were, were, were these three wolves harvested? Well, there were several. And so this, this goes through. So there were some guys that had used predator calls to hunt wolves. Completely and, and legal. Completely legal. They were exonerated in the end of this because they actually were federally investigated to see because if they had killed them on the Colorado side would have been a hundred thousand dollar fine all these different things but because Wyoming is regulating its own population and they killed them on the Wyoming side at least that's what the findings of the actual investigation were they were completely legal so before we get into the minutia of the laws and the legalities and mm-hmm. state versus federal management and we're going to get into a bunch of that and I would preface this with we have a, a wolf episode previous to this talking yeah. a little bit about some of this so with dan thompson uh, yeah sorry an dan. expert on that <laughs> <laughs> but let's start back in 1890 to 1910 you've got the great expanse into the western united states which was yeah. untamed wilderness pre what 1870 yeah and i mean the westward expansion right that's yeah. what we call it in historical terms there were a lot of things that happened that i would say were not good one being killing a whole bunch of bison, elk, other things off the landscape, but also wolves. Turkey, whitetail, antelope. We learned wolves, really grizzlies, quickly. Lots of things were part of that, right? Mountain lions. You know, we talked about that not too long ago, and it is what happened. We well, know. The- Theodore Roosevelt saw what had happened on the East Coast of mm-hmm. this country and said, you know what? We have something really special here. Let's not have city block grid load across the whole country. Let's have some wide open space. And so he established the first national park, which is right here in our backyard. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. And it's a great resource. It's a great thing that we have that vast, untouched wilderness. And I'm not going to hop on on the wolf-killing bandwagon here and say, (laughs) those dirty, rotten scum suckers, we need to get rid of all the wolves. If you guys are out there yelling at me, that's fine. I believe wolves have a place on the landscape. Yeah. However, I believe they need to be managed by the biologists that are hired to manage them. Well, not only that, I think, let's do a little history lesson on wolves, right? So westward expansion happens. The government decides they're a menace. They want them off the landscape completely. So they're pretty much eliminated across all the lower 48. I mean, there was a huge drive. I know a lot about it. 1930s and 40s, huge drive. And it was pushed by the cattlemen and the the sheep. Absolutely. There was a huge lobby of ranchers that said these things kill our animals i mean we and it's obvious they do i mean if i'm a wolf and i got a choice between a sheep and a elk to go after i'm going after the sheep because it's easy you know there was a huge lobby to get rid of wolves and it happened and they used a lot of different techniques trapping being one of them cyanide guns poison on carrion you know you name it and it killed a lot of other things besides wolves it was not a good way to do it it was not scientifically based it was pretty rough but fast forward to now we have management practices. We had the Pittman-Robertson Act. We had all these things that came into play, the North American conservation model, where now we are paying biologists to do research, to learn, to understand these animals, and then put in management plans to help try to balance between people and the animals. Because the people are here now. Ranches are established. 
cities are established, towns are established. And Dan talked about that on our episode is that we can't just go back to the way it was in 1890. Or, or 1490s or no nope. 12. It, we and, can't. And that is probably the biggest crux of this whole argument is the people who are pro-wolf release mm-hmm. live in a city, go to the grocery store. Some of them don't buy chicken and beef and their vote, which should count and should matter, weighs against a vote of mine and weighs against a rancher that we know and weighs against the sheep herder that we know. Mm -hmm. The issue that I see is you've got all these people in this city that never have to deal with the ramification of of this. They don't own livestock. They just don't. Their kids aren't playing out in the yard near, you know, on a ranch near these wolves. They, their dogs and cats aren't out on the landscape with these wolves. It's that charismatic, charismatic megafauna. It, it goes down to, and we've seen this with grizzly bears. We've seen it with lions. We've seen it with all these species, and it flabbergasts me. Uh, we want, I want to uh, stay a little bit on the history, right? So mm-hmm. there's a, a wolf book I read by a pretty famous trapper, and he, he removed a wolf in the 1950s and nobody had seen one for almost a decade right Mm -hmm. and from 1950 to 1970 they were almost non-existent however there was a few wolves in the 1980s in the park and people always want to sit here and say oh that can't be well there was wolves in colorado pre this great release that they just did right right i keep seeing headlines that saying colorado reintroduces they were already there let's establish there's a fact right here that they're mad that these three hunters or these two hunters took three wolves in 2020 I mean, they were mad enough to send the feds after him and they were exonerated and it was legal. But the point is, they keep touting this up and holding it up as they've done a great thing. I'll put it to you this way. Wolves have a place on the landscape. Colorado, isn't it? That's my opinion. But that's based on some numbers that we're going to get into in this state. And what really bothers me more than any of the catchy headlines, like the phrases, the 50-50 vote where their own biologist said, no, let's not do this. And they did it anyways. The guy that they hired and paid to manage their state's wildlife said, no, please don't do this. I want to get into the introduction here in this state, because if history teaches us anything, we know exactly what's going to happen in that state. So I got to live it. So I'll talk about it. Back in the 90s, there was a push at the U.S. fish and wildlife level, so federal level, saying we need to do an environmental impact statement or EIS. As part of that EIS, they determined that we needed wolves in Yellowstone National Park. And so they made that call. And they told Wyoming, we're going to do this. And Wyoming said, we don't want you to do this because wolves are not going to stay on the park. And which what is everybody fact. needs to realize is 90 some percent of Yellowstone National Park resides within Wyoming. Yeah, most of it's in Wyoming. And the ranchers and everybody else were upset. They pushed back, but they really hadn't no legs to stand on because they have no jurisdiction over Yellowstone National Park. So to placate them, what the feds did is they said, well, we're going to reintroduce them and we're going to put them in a fenced in area, which they did. So they brought in the first 14 wolves. I think this was in 95, 1995. They put these wolves in this enclosed area. They had three packs. They had a name. I can't remember the names. It doesn't really matter. And then they opened that up and let the wolves go on their own. But they said, well, we're going to keep them here long enough that they're going to call this home right and they're going to stay here, which is everyone said that's not going to happen because anyone that understands wolf behavior, mountain lion behavior, they don't do that. They care about 
breeding and feeding and extend expanding their territory yeah every day they get up and how can i expand my home range and how can i have more pups how can i have they have to keep their kind going so that's that's like i said they got to breed and feed so what did they do that was so 1950 was kind of the last wolf that was quote unquote known to be on the landscape even though we we know that see them in the 70s and 80s in the park i mean they were there but But 96 was the year we released 95 i think so so they do that so there's 14 on the first release then there's 17 on the next release let's fast forward to 1997 i have knowledge of this and i'm not going to share how i have knowledge of this but there was a wolf that was crossing interstate 80 near rollins in 1997 got hit by a semi died we already know that in that short amount of time, that wolf went over 400 miles from the park to that location. So I'm guessing that there were wolves in Colorado before the year 2000 from Wyoming because they move. They got to breed. They got to feed. What happens with like uh, pack dynamics is you have a dominant male. They continue to have pups and there are certain ones that are pushed out of the group for one reason or another. Well, what do they do? They go and they try to establish themselves somewhere else where they have food and where they can breed. Well, where did Washington and Oregon get their wolves? And now California has, I think, two packs. I haven't looked up the data too much, but there's at least one breeding pair in in California. How'd they get them? You know, the Canadian border doesn't screen out the wolves. Hmm. I, I don't know if people didn't know that or not. But see, that's the other thing about wolves is that they don't know borders. They don't know landmarks. That's something us as humans do. Wolves don't have any kind of understanding of our rules, our regulations, our boundaries. So what do they do? They breed and they feed. There, there's four things that are going to keep wolves regulated. It's not mountain lions. No. Number sure. one is other wolves. Number two is grizzly bears. Number three is a human. And number four is mother nature. If it can't get something to eat, mm-hmm. if it gets old, if it loses its teeth, those are the four ways a wolf leaves the population. Yep. You know, we're, we're not talking about a pheasant here or a grouse or a deer or an elk where it's a lot lower on the food chain, a lot easier to mitigate its population. And this is this is the argument we're discussing right now is we've learned as a society through the North American Wildlife Conservation Model that unregulated hunting seasons are a bad thing. Yes. Now, with that said, with the implementation of our North American wildlife conservation model, we have more wildlife on the landscape for most species than there ever has been. That includes turkeys, that includes whitetail, doesn't include bison. Uh, However, most of the bison (laughs) ground is being fed to cattle. Well, and bison are a whole nother animal, literally. You can't just release bison everywhere because otherwise you're going to have them all over your roads, in your cities, yards, wherever they want to go, they will go. So... This begs the question to be asked, are we, the human race, responsible to manage the wildlife on the North American continent or not? I believe so. That's our job. And if if you're listening to this saying, well, we're not responsible to do that, I would say you need to go return your car. You need to tear your house down. You need to roll the sidewalk up. You need to throw your smartphone away and you need to don handmade grass clothing and, and walk around and eat snails because we are here. That's a fact. I'm not tearing my house down. I'm not getting rid of my car. In fact, I'm not going to get rid of jet airplanes so I can travel the globe. With that said, we need to responsibly manage 
all of Mother Nature for a holistic ecosystem approach, not just emotion. And this this one thing has been driven off of emotion. We've already proven that the wolves were there in 2020 for sure, but I wanted to bring this up and we'll, we'll talk a little more, get on timeline. But one thing to, to be mentioned in it was what was the original agreement set at the table for recovery of wolves in the GYE. In 1995, when they said, we're going to do this, and the ranchers and cattlemen said, okay, you're going to pay us for every cow, sheep, chicken that we lose, which they no longer pay for because those funds have long run out and are dry. And now they say, well, you have the predator zone. Your cattle was killed in the predator zone. We're not going to pay for those. You just go kill the wolf. That's what they say. So ranchers are now left holding the bag because they were told exactly that the recovered status, and here is something that still befuddles me, is the ESA, all these people come together, sit around a table and make an agreement, and the agreement was 10 breeding pair and 110 wolves was considered recovered. Here we are today. We, I mean, Wyoming has lost and got and lost its rights to manage these wolves. Lots well, of litigation for well, that. Yeah. 2016, <clears throat> 2009. We're not going to get too deep into the woods there, but basically uh, the numbers today... And this is something I want to bring up when everybody keep in mind that recovered, everybody agreed that recovered would be 110 wolves, 10 breeding pair. We are now sitting at, according to the game and fish, 338 in Wyoming, in Wyoming, but in Montana, over a thousand, Idaho, over a thousand. So we're at 2,300 wolves in the GYE. That's a conservative number. We know that from talking to Dan Thompson. Right. So here we are at 10 times the number, 20 times the number that they said would be recovered. They said would come off the endangered species list. And this is one of the best examples we have of a great abuse of the Endangered Species Act. The act and the thought of creating an act to protect a species that say solar panel uh, fields going in in central Utah and Nevada are killing the tortoises. So we're going to do something to mitigate that. We're going to bring the ASA in. We're going to make turtle safe travel fences through these solar fields. And you guys think I'm laughing. Solar fields have a huge impact. There's a valley straight south of Las Vegas that has three of the mirror reflection fields that reflect onto a tower in the middle. They were going to put nine of those. And these guys, these fields are couple thousand acres of mirrors that all focus back onto this 15-story tower and the tower is painted black but during the day it's so bright you can't look at it with your eyes all the birds that fly through there get <laughs> evaporated they've raised the temperature in that valley like six degrees they were going to put nine of those in there they stopped at three so all these green energy things that oh we're saving the planet everything we do as humans has an impact seen and unseen and to ignore that fact denies that you're here and you're part of the ecosystem and you are now a problem. Well, I think to your point, the ESA was designed with the best intentions in mind and it is effective when used properly as it was intended. The problem is, is that it's now being abused because litigation comes into play where you meet management objectives, you meet the scientific objectives, but then the goalpost gets moved. Because somebody doesn't want them hunted or whatever it might be. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I know everybody's reasons for it, but they get moved one way or another. It's happening with grizzly bears currently. We are well over management objectives for grizzly bears, and yet they're still on the ESA. 
with wolves, it's it's kind of an interesting thing because we've had them around since 95 here in Wyoming and ranchers have borne the load, the trouble that they have caused when they left the park as everyone knew that they would. I think it's it's just important for both sides to understand that there is an impact regardless of what their stance is, right? If you don't have wolves on the landscape, there's an impact. If you do have wolves on the landscape, there's an impact. The key is, again, going back to that stewardship and maintaining a level that is acceptable. If you have too many wolves, you're going to have big time problems. And I think that's what Colorado is going to experience because there is no hunting, right? They're going to explode in population for a while. Yes, lots of them are going to get killed in Wyoming because they're going to come across the border. Not enough of them. I'm just saying they're going to come across the border. Regardless of what they say or what they think, wolves are going to do what wolves do. And they're going to expand and they're going to go places that people don't want them. And the Colorado ranchers are going to have to deal with that. And that it is what it is. And also their, their parks and wildlife service is going to have to deal with it. It'll be what it'll be. They've made that decision, you know, through a vote or whatever. But the thing to keep in mind about wolves is they are a menace to animals that are vulnerable, period. So if you're a moose that's not healthy or one that can't run very fast, whatever it is, if you're an elk herd, like we've seen on the elk refuge where they go in at night and kill 40, 50 elk. There was a ranch in Matitzi where wolves, and this is another point that I want to clarify. We're not talking about the cute, cuddly Disney version of the cartoon character you see that's got a name that drives a car and wears a suit and tie and goes to work. This animal is an apex killing machine. Yep. Mountain lions, I, I have a lot of respect for. Right, They're out there doing it solo. Pretty much going to consume what they can. They're going to cash the rest of it. They'll come back, consume some of it, and then they're going to go get a fresh kill. They're going to leave the less, r- leftovers for coyotes. But... They're much more holistic in their approach to predator-prey relationship versus wolves. We saw in Matitsi one night they came and killed 17 elk. They didn't eat one. They just got in a frenzy, in a rampage. And if you've ever yeah. seen two or three dogs get in a brawl in a yard, once all those dogs get into that fight mindset, it's just 100% fight, and there's no... Oh, well, calm down, puppy. I mean, the, your cute little Fido, you walk around on a leash. If you ever seen a dog fight, it's, it's vicious. Mm-hmm. And seeing what these wolves do firsthand to ungulate populations, we're not talking a hunter with a bullet who quickly, humanely, cleanly takes this animal out. You know, we're, we're not talking a semi or a car where, boom, splat, it's done. No, these these wolves come up and hamstring the animal. And what I mean by hamstring, it's going to get graphic. They bite at the hind legs until they and hold on, hold on until they tear through the tendons that hold the back legs. So the, the animal can't kick anymore. And then another one will either come up for mouth, throat, neck. And a lot of times once they get it down, they won't even do that. They'll come in through the abdomen to, or the anus. Yep. And they, and start, they eating start eating it while them. it's alive. Yep. Okay. Eating them alive. And there's been plenty of animals that have been half eaten by coyotes and wolves that are found still alive and they can't do anything. So yep. when, when we're talking about this, guys, we're not talking about the cute little Disneyland version of these things. These things are apex killing machines and that's what they do. And I wanted to touch on something you were talking about is, well, these wolves might leave the area, might leave. There was a coyote hunter that got in trouble in central Utah 
Oh, I, I, I'll have to pull up the exact report, but it's verified. He got in trouble because he harvested a wolf in central Utah. And this was, oh, a dozen years ago. That wolf actually happened to have a collar. So we have the data. It has a number. I don't particularly remember it. But the point is that wolf did like 1,600 miles in about a six-week period. He left Yellowstone and said, peace, I'm out of here. Spent a little bit of time in Colorado, went over into Utah and went down Utah and got in eventually harvested in the uh, central to southern part of Utah. Mm-hmm. So they can do about 50 miles a day easy. That's just they can a, run. That's, that's just a trot for them. They just, I'm going to mm-hmm. go over here. So They're built for it. That's it, what they're built to do is cover ground. They can go from Denver to Yellowstone and back in a week yep. if they want to. Uh, just this morning, I had a, a red fox in my backyard. I was out. We have free-range chickens. And that is one thing I'm not going to tolerate is I like my chicken eggs. Well, and I got that fox not too long ago that, you know, we skinned out over here. I mean, the thing is, is when you... I'm not going to blame the fox. I'm not going to blame no, the wolf. It's doing what it's bred to do. When you when you are a steward of your livestock and your animals, you have a responsibility to protect that. And I don't fault anybody for that. If it's a rancher that shoots a grizzly bear that's eating its cattle, I have no problem with that whatsoever. It's just like if a fox comes into my hen house, which we had nine chickens get taken away and a couple of roosters killed a few years ago because we had foxes coming in. You know what? But I if, I, pl- if I take out that fox, that's me protecting the thing that my animals, I'm a steward over that resource. I have to protect it. And so I've tried to play devil's advocate. I really, in a lot of arguments, I try and see it from the other side to really understand it. And this is one that I cannot wrap my mind around because I've heard the other side say things, well, you just need to move your chickens or you shouldn't have chickens or you know what, you should just, he, he needs to eat too. So you should just donate your chickens. And it's, if you do that pretty quickly, you have no chickens. And then what does the fox eat? Nothing. And then because the fox had free chickens for a year, six months, however long it took, he bred extra pups. He raised extra pups to juvenile status. And now all of a sudden that fox population explodes and then the ground nesting birds are in trouble. All your small game animals are in trouble. And this predator prey cyclical relationship, the best way I can describe it is bobcats and rabbits. I love to trap bobcats. I'm never going to quit. California banned it. They went to cage trapping only. They've banned mountain lion trapping. All these bannings of tying resource management tools up and saying, we're not going to use these anymore because they're bad. Uh, I'll be honest with you, knowing a trapper and talking with him, the only way to truly manage wolf populations is with steel in the ground. It does not matter how many hunters you put on the landscape. No, because most hunters are never going to harvest a wolf. I'll just tell you that right now. They are very smart. And when you harvest one or two out of that pack, they get super smart. The government, when they were doing it, they were using helicopters and... And cyanide and... And cyanide guns in the ground and helicopters with tracking collars. And and they're no longer doing that much management here in the state. But to to get a little bit back on track, we've we've established that a wolf left Yellowstone, went 1,600 miles in a month or so. And we, we know that... Wolves migrated into Washington, Oregon, and California. These wolves that they've planted in Colorado, 
Uh, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Nebraska, Kansas, watch out. You know, it's going to be a little bit harder for them to leave Denver and get across the plains. It's going to take time. But they're going to go south real quick. Well, I'll put it to you this way. I mean, it took only a couple of years for one to go 400 miles from the park after they opened the gates, you know, to these ones that were supposed to stay put. It won't take long. You'll see them in various other places. And you know what? It is what it is at this point. Because I hear a lot of people that are like, well, we got to backpedal that. We got to do this, that. It's not going to happen, guys. Like it, what's been done has been done. Now, are they going to come into Wyoming and get shot? I don't know. They they say that they released them in interior enough to Colorado that they should be fine for a while. I think what's going to be is going to be they're going to have a wolf management program now. And I think in a few years, they're going to realize that they bit off a little bit more than they can chew. Because I can tell you on the Wyoming side, it's a management hurdle. It's You have to hire extra people. You have a lot of extra costs. And running a wolf program is not just all sunshine and rainbows. Like it's never like going to be profitable. No, never. Never, ever. And the thing is, you're taking all that money that the hunters are paying in for conservation and you're dumping it into a, basically a black hole because now you have all these extra regulations and different things you have to deal with now that you have wolves. But you know what? That's the choice they made. We, we now have to take time away from a game warden who should be out managing ungulate populations. He's now trying to catch somebody who's trying to manage a predator population. So the idea that, well, they're here and let's deal with it and and I, I want to backpedal to this vote. What really matters, guys, is it was 49.5 to 50.5. I mean, it wasn't it was 49 close. to 51. It was almost 50-50, yay, nay. And I can guarantee you the majority of those yay votes are downtown Denver. Oh, we need wolves, right? And this is the heart of this conflict is we have rural mindset and city mindset clashing. And... I'm not going to sit here and say that we don't need wolves. What I want to highlight is the fact that in 96, when we did the reintroduction, and we were supposed to, when I say we, Wyoming was supposed to get the right to manage those wolves once they reached that milestone of 100 wolves, 110 wolves and 10 or 12 breeding pair. Well, we've already established that we're at <laughs> 338 officially in Wyoming, and they're still trying to put them back on the endangered species list. Wyoming has done a great job. Dan has done his job. And Wyoming continues to manage their wolves and is doing a great job. And guess what, everybody? We're on year three of hunting wolves in Wyoming, and the population is increasing. And I, th I think that we really need to highlight that because... What these guys do in these articles, you know, like all these articles that people write is they try to scare everybody by saying, well, there's people actually out there hunting them and they're using predator calls. They're doing this they're doing that. And they're like, oh, this is bad. We're going to lose population when in all actuality, people are doing that all across the state of Wyoming in these predator areas. And guess what? Population is still growing because of the way that we're managing them. They can do that. Now, what doesn't get mentioned is how many that fish and wildlife and Wyoming game and fish have to take out of the population just to keep them in control, which I'm, Colorado is about to find out because oh. their fish and wildlife people are going to have to start taking out wolves within the next five to 10 years. So I know of one archery hunter and one rifle hunter who both harvested wolves that were not incidental, not, oh, I'm hiking through a meadow, there's a wolf on the side. No, the wolf was charging them. The wolf was establishing super aggressive behavior within 20, 30 yards, 20, 30 meters. Okay. This is now 
life and death situation. So you guys that like to go hike and go fishing with your kids, you guys that like to go sightseeing and rock climbing and mountain biking, if you're not packing, you're going to find out. And, oh, wolves don't hurt people. There was a gal <laughs> trail running in Alaska that was killed by wolves. So, yeah. I mean... These are not poor, defenseless little creatures. So it's funny to me when I hear people say that wolves don't hurt people. Because if you look at who's the villain in all the stories for a thousand plus years, because I mean, look at bad wolf. Yeah. Look at the stories that the Romans had that people in Europe and and Russia have had for years because they they do kill people. (laughs) The the little boy who cried wolf, little red, right? There's a dozen stories about the wolf is the big bad guy. And the latest Shrek video makes the wolf out to be like, he's just been, you know, demonized. He he's, he's been villainized and demonized. Mm -hmm. He's really not a bad guy. He's just this little kind. No, they hamstring animals. They will kill children. A hundred percent breed and feed and expand territory. That's what they do. It's just how they're built. And I'm not saying it's wrong. To your point, wolves have a place in that chain. I believe that God created it in a way that, I mean, we have grizzly bears, we have wolves, we have black bears, we have all these different predators, and then we have all these different prey populations. We want to keep them in balance. And that's the great thing about the North American conservation model when executed properly is that you create a healthy balance so that populations do this, not this. And so there's two two thoughts that come to mind. I want to talk about ungulate populations and give you some examples but i also want to talk about this is a holistic approach okay so we need to be thinking outside of colorado wyoming right okay and right now on the north american continent there's a hundred thousand wolves and we didn't even talk about wisconsin michigan maine they have minnesota minnesota i think they have four or five thousand wolves up there and they just lost the right to hunt wolves in one of those states Okay, and here's why I wanted to bring up these two points congruently is you look at the Lolo Zion in Idaho, you look at the feed ground in Yellowstone National Park. The year they released wolves, 96, they had 10,000 elk hit the feed ground. The next year it was eight, a couple years later it was six. The last couple of years they've had 2,000 elk hitting the feed ground. Lolo Zone is northern Idaho. It was known for trophy elk hunting. Zumbo went there hunting, wrote some good articles about hunting the Lolo, hunting up there in a couple different wilderness areas. There's no elk left, Patrick. And when I say no, I mean there's 95% less elk than there was two decades ago. So why I bring that up is uh, Colorado has the lion's share of our elk population. It's 500,000. Wyoming's like 200, I think, two and a quarter. Montana has, and I I could look up all these numbers, but I know that Colorado has the largest elk herd. They don't have the lion's share. They have, and they have one of the biggest Shiras moose, you know, populations, not herds, but the moose population is going to be the first one that gets whacked. I mean, we saw it here in Wyoming, moose population still struggles, especially around here where we have wolves. It really struggles. When I was a kid, I used to see five to six moose just driving between Dubois and Jackson, I hardly ever see them anymore. I so, mean, so their population is taking a massive hit. I would like to see the ESA come out and say, because we need to quit thinking in terms of Colorado and California and Wyoming. I'd like the ESA to come out and basically they kind of need to go away, but then somebody needs to say the healthy ungulate population for the North American continent is 3 million elk, 5 million elk. I don't care. Give me a number. 
and the healthy wolf population for the North American continent. We're talking Canada, Quebec, Alaska. I think 100,000 wolves sounds like pretty diverse ecosystem and healthy, robust population. I don't think killing two wolves on the border of Colorado and Wyoming is going to hurt our 100,000 base population. So where I said earlier in this conversation, I think we should have wolves. I'm not in the rancher's camp of shoot, shovel, and shut up. I've heard them out in the wild. Uh, you can watch on our doll sheep hunt in Alaska. I actually stalked one and tried to take one, and he outsmarted me and got away. My point is, I, they have a place on the landscape. Colorado, isn't it? Well, and like I said, what's been done has been done. They're and, there now. And they were there beforehand. That's what people are forgetting is that they moved from Wyoming to there. They're going to continue their move. That's just what wolves do. So and Utah, so, they're coming next. And here's yep. the the unfortunate. Utah already has them. Oh, I yeah. guarantee it. They're so close to Yellowstone that I guarantee it. And Idaho. <laughs> They've got them. It's just a matter of what's the management plan going to look like. Because as time goes on, they continue to breed and feed and expand. And that's just how the animals are. Just like mountain lions, we talked about them. They do the same thing. They breed, they feed, they expand. It's just the reality of it. Now, also, I mean, look at how many articles have been out lately about grizzly bears doing the same thing. They breed in a way that is much slower. You know, grizzly bears don't expand nearly as quickly. But we're getting close to the point where the Montana and Wyoming grizzly populations are coming together in Idaho as well. You're seeing them down in these wheat fields eating out of granaries. You're, you're seeing they're them over in places in you the wouldn't big see horns. them. They're down over in New Orleans. And you never know. I mean, it's going to happen. They're going to move. And the thing is, is it's only natural. There's one that came out of the Alcricks right here and went south through Riverton Lander and went up above Lander. He walked across, he stayed in the sagebrush down here, but it did happen, right? To the point in moving, I can remember in 09, working for an outfitter in Northeast Oregon in the Snake River. We'd do, we'd pack camps in and out. And I remember one day I did about a 14 mile ride down a ridge and then I had to ride out the ridge further, but I followed wolf tracks for about nine miles. He came up off the Snake River, hit the road I was on and you know, it was six inches of snow. And so I'm just following this set of wolf tracks and I'm on a horse doing three miles an hour, never caught up to him, never yeah. will. And that's the point that I'm trying to make is we have this road here now that he could just get on that ridge and he ran that road instead well, of what Shockey was talking about is the wolves in Canada now have highways for hunting, right? Highways for hunting. And, and that's changed their success rate as far as yep. instead of having to bob and weave through the timber and be, be obstructed by the terrain they now can get on snowmobile trails or atv trails or roads train tracks and they'll just run that until they catch wind of something and circle around and get it we've made them more efficient hunters and that was when we had jim shockey here this last year he talked about that on our show is that because of logging roads and different infrastructure that we as humans have put into place now the wolf is an extra big killing machine because they can move much more efficiently to try and Put, a, put some sort of devil's advocate or, or highlight the frustration is every time I go up to my favorite elk zone, there's a new ATV road closed sign. There's a new ATV gate or non-ATV or road closed because we're making the wilderness bigger. On one hand, I, I'm sort of okay with that because I'm a backcountry hunter. I like to take my horses or the llamas that we rent or just my feet and 
I like to not see other people when I go where I'm going. Four days on end, that's the goal. I'm frustrated just in the lack of forest management that we now have. You know, we had this rigorous, robust 1960s, 70, the U.S. Forest Service was out there clear-cutting slash piles, expanding roads and trails. There is a way trail that is on the Onyx map that no longer exists, and I got lost wouldn't say lost. I tried to take a different trail. We went from A to B. I went from B to C trying to go back to A. And I got on my Onyx. I said, oh, there's a trail through here. We happen to have livestock with us. It's called the Way Trail. It's supposed to be there. Two miles of it is just gone. I mean, 100% gone. And it took us, what should have taken an hour, took about three and a half of trying to switch back and climb over logs. And Mm. I mean, it wasn't like three. And the mismanagement of the beetle kill of the forest and you know i sure see the uh, the fishing game or fish and wildlife or somebody driving the road checking regulations checking camps but we're not going to actually go out and manage the forest anymore now we're not going to go out and manage the predator population well what's going to happen the ungulates are gone they don't have the food because the habitat isn't being managed. And now they have an apex predator running the few logging roads that even if they're not open, they're still running logging roads. Yeah, I mean, you'll, I wouldn't say they'd be gone, but the, the thing that happens is you have a big dip in their population. Then you have a huge increase in predator population. Then they get sick with something and they die off. And then the ungulates kind of start to come back and you get this wave action. The whole point of the North American conservation model wildlife biology, wildlife management is to flatten out peaks and valleys because you don't want peaks and valleys like that. Part of that plan is hunting. Part of that plan involves, you know, natural causes. That's just just the way it is. They're just trying to cut off the top of the peak and fill in the bottom of the valley. They're not going to get rid of it. It's, it's a natural phenomenon. It's called stewardship. You know, all, all this discussion really should come down to stewardship. Like, are we stewarding the resources the way that we should be stewarding them? I would say that there's there's people on both sides of the fence yelling at each other that don't understand stewardship and maybe don't care about it as much. I also see that there are people that have legitimate ish- interests in the discussion and people that really don't. And the problem is there's not a lot of middle ground there. Um, but I will say, you know, everybody's upset about the, the wolf thing in Colorado. Man, I was real upset when it happened here in Wyoming because we were being lied to, actively lied to every day, saying these wolves are going to stay in the park. The wolves are going to stay in the park. It's fine. No big deal. You're, you're going to be fine. The problem with it is they're there, guys. Pure and simple. How do you manage them going forward? And Colorado's going to have to figure that out. Wyoming's had a lot of bumps and bruises, a lot of litigation, a lot of things happened here. But we had to figure it out. We had to deal with the problem that was given to us on a platter by the federal government. It is what it is. We have to deal with it going forward. And I know people don't like to hear that, but that's where we're at. Because even if you take it to court, so uh, there's probably people, we have a lot of people from Colorado that listen to this podcast. Go ahead, take it to court. It's not going to change anything. Uh, Unfortunately for you, you can play the same game Wyoming did. They're not going anywhere. I mean, Wyoming jumped through all the hoops, and, yep. and we, we gotta, fought it hard. We got to go back to they're here now, and what? Yep. How do we manage them? Okay, well, you say that we can have our management back at a hundred wolves. Here we are at three hundred wolves, and there's still lawsuits being filed in federal but at court. At least we've won to the point where we have a management plan, and it is our plan, yes. which is good. And that is that is probably a a really good talking point is federal oversight of wolves in wyoming 
is not a good thing. No. The biologist, especially, I have to go back to this, especially when it's somebody in Washington making that decision. If it's somebody in Wyoming making that decision, it's a little bit more palatable. But when it's somebody who's not even here saying, this is what you have to do, this is what it has to be for you, that's where it gets really rough because what happens a lot of times, and and I've talked to Dan about this, is you have people that are not even remotely familiar with the area. They're not familiar with the the herd dynamics, the, the you know the pack dynamics, all these different they, things. They drive the through Yellowstone. They have no and, clue, and they have no idea. You and I are but backpacking and fishing in there, and we and we just barely scratch the surface. Right, but they're going to tell us how it should be done and what's appropriate for because the area. Because we're done redneck hicks that don't know anything. Well, but and they that's even say that, but they even say that about our own biologists that are here saying no this is an appropriate level for this state because oh, you they don't have firsthand knowledge because they live here they're out there in the field studying these animals here they're not sitting in a desk somewhere else making that call just like to the point and and I feel for the people for color of Colorado the ranchers to your point people in metro areas made that decision so the, the place, that the valley they chose to release these wolves in, when I did a little bit of digging, 70% of the votes were no against releasing the wolves. Yeah, because they have a legitimate interest in protecting their own livelihood. I can't fault them for that. Can you fault that for anybody, right? If you have something that is going to potentially take food off the table, take money out of your bank account are you going to fight that are you going to just let that happen you're going to fight it and the thing to remember bow spider is partnered with the rocky mountain elk foundation for one reason we want to secure habitat for elk why because i'm an elk hunter patrick that's who i am and what i love to do why am i so passionate about getting rid of these wolves well we've talked about it you know one wolf is going to eat 52 elk a year and those elk have to come from somewhere and i want to see the elk population stable and growing not shrinking and to see the elk population shrinking due to well you've got covid created this huge rural land boom where everybody from la sacramento denver new york anybody that was anybody that could get a remote job saw that they could move in the country buy five acres and build a house for less than their condo cost in their big city and oh i can work on my computer and that's all fine and dandy i'm not gonna say the urbanization of our rural communities is a bad thing or a good thing i'm not gonna get into that what i'm gonna get into is when somebody from dc moves here and has read all these headlines that oh it's bad that those wolves got killed by those that's not a bad thing that's actually the way the system's supposed to work and wyoming doesn't want wolves there why that's where your beef comes from. We've talked about this with Shockey. I had a lot of thought about this and it's like, well, is a wolf's life worth more than an elk's life? And somebody would say, well, you're a dirty, rotten person for killing this animal X, name it. Well, do you feel any remorse when you kill a, remove a mouse from your house? Some people might, but I'll tell you right now, I don't want the mouse in the cupboard chewing on my food, okay? Yeah. And I don't have that we have a problem. I'm a, I've put these stores up not for the mouse. Now, does the mouse do it? Do I think that we should go? I mean, I'm surrounded by acres and acres of alfalfa. There's mice everywhere. Am I out there and the, all the way around the border of my property trapping every mouse off this place? No. But when they come in the house, they're gone. I'm removing them. You have to manage it. I have to manage it. But I've had the thought and the mouse has heart, lungs, liver, kidney, brain, everything 
and an elephant has heart, liver, lungs, kidney, brain, and they're both bred to expand their population. Their species, they everything they do is for the betterment of their species. But you and I and the rest of this country need to come together and figure out how to manage all those species holistically and not value the elephant over the mouse or the mouse over the elephant. Because what Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation talks about a lot is when they secure an acre of ground for habitat, either restoration or preservation for elk, well, that benefits mule deer. In turn, that benefits cottontails and all the way down to voles and mice, also mountain lions, wolves, and grizzly bears. Benefits them all. It benefits them all. And that's where the frustration comes in is here's somebody trying to, the the state biologist in Colorado said, no, don't do this. This is not a good idea. To, To go even further is in their plan, they had to release wolves by January 24. They did it, what? Two weeks December ago. December 18th, yep. In their plan that they approved, it never said where they were going to get the wolves from. They, they said in their plan, well, we'll get them from Wyoming, Montana, or Idaho. They if, got them from Oregon. And they did, but they, they said <laughs> if they can't get from those three bordering states, they'll ask Washington or Oregon. That's and, because the neighboring states said no. They we said absolutely no. Any. We don't want to give you these wolves because you're going to be irresponsible with them. And you're not going to manage them, and they're going to be back onto our place being a bigger headache and problem for us. That is exactly Wyoming said. Southern Wyoming ranches are going to deal with the ramifications of it. And wolves, I'm going to tell you, Colorado, your wolves, they come across, are probably going to get shot, especially if they are killing cattle, sheep, which they will. Because that's what they do. They don't care if it's an elk, a moose, a sheep, or a cow. They're going to go for whatever's most vulnerable because they have to eat. They have so they're to going eat. to eat. And this comes down to everything has to eat, and yep. period. I think it, you know, to not get too far away from the from the wolf piece is, again, management's going to have to happen one way or another. It will or it won't. We'll see what happens. It'll be kind of exciting to see how Colorado deals with this over the next decade because wolves will breed and feed. That's what they do. So I'm kind of curious to see how all this shakes out. But one thing I will say is reading this headline again, border killings, how shooters lured historic Colorado wolves to their deaths in Wyoming. It's it's just the more we have of that kind of stuff out there, the less progress we're going to make on this discussion because, again, the, the wolves are here. They came from Wyoming to Colorado in the first place. These aren't historic to Colorado. People need to get their facts straight. They need to do the research. They need to, to actually look at these things and think about them maybe from both sides, right? Like, why do people want wolves? Why do people not want wolves? And start forming your own opinion. I printed articles from both sides of the aisle, both sides of this issue, because I wanted to really research it. Again, I lived it. I watched people get lied to. I watched what happened when wolves came in. I saw the graphic pictures of people's dogs that got killed and eaten by these wolves. I know what they do. And Colorado is about to find out. No, they exactly will not tolerate a canine. No, uh, they, they absolutely keep your dogs inside. That's one piece of advice I'll give you. And I mean, there's another headline here and it's, it's from the other side, but gray wolf population remains stable after three years of hunting hunting now we've discussed this you're and never not to mention the game and fish having to call oh they're 
<laughs> they, they, but they we'll leave that once. out of the argument for now. And, and it, it goes back and forth. And this is back to, we're kind of going a little bit of circles, but back to that ESA piece. The ESA has been abused for the last two decades. The end result of when I was a kid, if you told me, hey, we were putting the, the great speckled whatever on the ESA, I was like, oh, that's good. We're going to protect them and save them. Now seeing all the lies, all the deceits, the goalpost moving, and it's never, the one thing I know is it's never good enough. No matter how far you concede territory and say, all right, we'll go to 500 wolves. We'll go to 10,000. It will never be enough until you and I and our eradication of our way of life is gone. That's Yeah, I was going to say, none of that will ever change until hunting is eradicated, till fishing is eradicated. Because that is the goal, unfortunately, and <laughs> from a lot of people on the other side. Now, I will say there are a lot of people on the other side that are coming around once they realize and they engage with people who have a hunting and fishing lifestyle. They're starting to see, oh, these are good people. They're just trying to put clean protein on the table. They're actually paying in and managing these populations through their purchases of rifles, of fishing gear, all these things. Some people are coming around, but sadly enough, it's not the majority. So that is that is one way forward. Instead of joining the shoot, shovel, and shut up crowd and you know getting your torch and pitchfork and scream and kill all the wolves, educate people, you know, and and try and have a civil conversation. Now, some of these people you absolutely cannot have a civil conversation. They absolutely they are right that they eat tofu, and you are wrong that you eat protein, or they are right that every wolf should be dead and there's an end of discussion at that point so there's people on both ends oh yeah and i i would say if you're on either side of that argument go read these headlines and kind of kind of do some digging and figure out that we already told you there's a hundred thousand wolves on the north american continent i don't know what the appropriate number is but i, I can guarantee you that they're not endangered they're no longer locally extirpated from their territorial home range. And if you, if we want to go back to that argument, we discussed it a little bit earlier. Omaha, Kansas, Denver, Sacramento, Seattle, L.A. We need to tear them all down, roll up all the sidewalks. And you guys need to, you can't live in tents on the sidewalks. You're going to have to just be a nomadic hunter-gatherer species to be able to let these ungulates and uh, let these apex predators run rampant and loose because what's going to happen the peaks are going to get really sharp the valleys are going to get really sharp and when that happens the wolves aren't going to die the wolves are going to be out of the grizzly bears are going to be out of elk in gye which technically they might be if you look at numbers historically and what are those grizzly bears and wolves going to do they're coming to the ranch and what are they going to do at the ranch what the fox was trying to do at my house this morning eat the hens out of the chicken coop and we, at that yep. point in time, we have two options. We let the we let the fox eat all the chickens, or we remove the fox. And I can't, Colorado, you guys have a fight coming for you because there's a group that says let, let a, the fox yeah. have the hens. It's you shouldn't do anything. Well, it's like you said, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. And you know, I, I thought it was a good way to kick off the year. We probably made some people mad, and hopefully, we made some people think. You know, I can't verify like your elk numbers and some of those other things, but I can verify the wolf numbers because I did do the, do the uh, look up on the numbers. So just to put that in perspective, is 338 in Wyoming, and that's a conservative estimate. Idaho fishing game came up with 1337, Montana 1087. So the wolf populations in this area are very healthy and robust, healthy, and they're growing. They're no longer growing exponentially. 
but they're being managed uh, wherever you get the numbers from the data can always be skewed but i can guarantee you one thing as wolf populations increase, ungulate populations are going to they decrease. Gotta eat. It's more mouths. And anyway, I thought this was a good way to start the year. We've got a lot more coming this season. So again, this is the first of season six. So episode one of season six. If you haven't done so already, share out the podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, all kinds of different places. And Carbon TV, which we're very excited to be a part of because the Carbon TV family is all hunting and fishing minded people. Like that's what they care about. They're not trying to censor the content. So if you haven't been on Carbon TV yet, get out there and check them out. They're really cool. That is one. That's a great platform. And that's one cool thing about having this platform is that censorship piece. As I see our society doing what it's doing the most important thing i would say is the answer to incorrect speech is not no speech it's more correct speech so we're going to put a link to these articles you guys can go read kind of both sides and some of these numbers dan thompson spends all year out in the field hands-on collaring counting dna sampling you know doing Doing his job. Doing scientific studies to do his job and come up with accurate data that the other side, the get rid of all the wolf side, says, oh, they're lying. They're manipulating the numbers. There's 10x that. No, they're doing get to spend time with Dan and know who he is. He's 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 an advocate for all wildlife. And he's honest. He does his job. He does the best he can. And what I like about Dan is he's very similar mindset of me of it's not an all or nothing for either side. Like. The animals are there. They have to be managed. We have to steward our resources. And that's why I respect him a ton. Because he's right. That It's just the reality of where we're at. We, so. we can't give in to the ranchers who want all the wolves gone. Then you guys are out there. And if, if you're screaming at me, scream at me. We can't just, sorry, no, the wolves are here. What are we going to do? But on the other side of the coin, we can't just say, well, like the other side would like us to. Well, we just can't go hunting and fishing anymore. The wolves are here. We'll just stay in our house and... And play video games because, man, guys, the, no kid is ever going to remember spending a day playing video games with their dad. But the day they catch their first fish, the day they see their first elk, the time, first time they hear a wolf howl, they're going to remember those things. So I, I guess for me, the final sense is let's manage the ecosystem holistically and let the biologists do their job. Yep. And so Colorado, best of luck to you. Uh, having been a fourth generation Wyomingite and watched this play out here, it's going to get more interesting before it gets any better. But I wish you all the best of luck. And uh, like I said, this is the beginning of a new season, so we'll come back with more episodes here very soon. Uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast. And yeah, we'll be back with more here before too long. More coming your way, guys. Stay safe while you're out there in the woods. Thanks again for listening to the Radcast Outdoors podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. If so, Please go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and subscribe, share, and give us a five-star rating, which really helps other people find the show. You can find all of our shows, recipes, giveaways, videos, and much more at radcastoutdoors.com. While you're there, please help support the show by purchasing a Radcast Outdoors shirt or hat. Please don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a RADCAST community on Facebook called RADCAST Nation, and we'd love for you to join in the conversation there. And of course, please help support our sponsors who make this show possible. Thank you again to PK Lures, Bow Spider, and High Mountain Seasonings. 
Until next time, get out there and enjoy the outdoors. 